Hey everybody, welcome back to Explain Like I'm 5, the podcast where we take the questions you always wanted to ask and talk about them in a way that's easy to understand. We are your hosts, I'm Tim. Hey everyone, I'm Kevin. So Kevin, today we're talking about a topic that every five-year-old should know about, and that is toothpaste. The question is, how did people maintain their teeth before toothpaste existed? Ah, really good question. So the first thing is that cavemen really didn't eat the sheer amount of sugar that we eat today. So their diets overall didn't create the same amount of uh, dental problems that we have today. A lot of why we have dental problems today is related to the sheer amount of sugar that we eat. But also, there is evidence that before the invention of modern toothbrushes and toothpaste, um, there were other methods of dental hygiene. Things like chewing on sticks was used as a sort of simple way to help clean the teeth. And there were a bunch of other early solutions going back thousands of years. Ah, very interesting. Can you explain what some of these early versions of the toothbrush were? Sure, sure. So the chew stick um, was basically like twigs or roots of certain plants that were chewed until one end is frayed. This end can be used to brush against the teeth, while the other can be used as like maybe a toothpick. Cultures such as the Greeks, the Romans, the Arabs, and Indians also cleaned their teeth with twigs. Some would fray one end of the twig so that it could basically penetrate between the teeth more effectively. Ah, so if that's the toothbrush, then what are some of the earliest forms of toothpaste then? Oh, so for that, we can start all the way back, I think as early as like 5000 BC, when the Egyptians made a kind of a tooth powder, which consisted of a whole bunch of ingredients like powdered ashes of ox hooves, uh, mirror powdered and burnt eggshells and pumice. It was then the Greeks and the Romans who improved the recipes by adding some abrasives, such as maybe crushed bones and oyster shells. And this sort of technique developed in different geographies broader than just the Western world, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There were versions of toothpaste or tooth powder that popped up all over the world in different civilizations. In the 9th century, uh, there was an Iraqi musician and fashion designer who invented a type of toothpaste, which he popularized throughout Islamic Spain. And in Japan's Edo period, around the 1700s, there was an inventor who came up with something called sosekiko, which means uh, toothpaste in a box. But I think, you know, bringing it, bringing it to more to modern times, it was really the 19, in the 19th century that the toothpastes or powders came, in, came into much more general usage. Now, those first modern toothpastes weren't sold in the tubes that we know of today, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Back then, Colgate toothpaste was first sold all the way back in 1873, and that was sold in glass jars. Uh, it was marketed as aromatic toothpaste in jars. The tubes we know of today were pioneered by a few folks, including uh, Johnson & Johnson. And they were introduced more than 20 years later, so, you know, 1896. And then through the years, they added more ingredients to toothpaste to have it essentially add more and more features. Yeah, basically. So in the early 1900s, the first toothpaste containing disinfectants, uh, actually branded as uh, Colinos. The name is a combination of two Greek words, meaning both beautifier and disease preventer. Uh, the company Colinos was eventually acquired by Colgate Palmolive in 1995. I believe the fluoride addition to toothpastes gained steam somewhere in the 1950s. Is that right? Yep, that's right. 
And you can add another big consumer products goods name to the mix here, uh, P&G or Procter & Gamble. So basically to develop the first American Dental Association approved fluoride toothpaste, Procter & Gamble started a research program in the early 1940s. And it was by 1950 that they developed a joint research project team at Indiana University to study uh, a new toothpaste with fluoride essentially. And in 1955, Procter & Gamble's toothpaste brand Crest launched its first clinically proven fluoride-containing toothpaste. And then, of course, in the last 30 or 40 years, uh, you had companies in Japan and Europe adding different component components to remineralize, you know, maybe areas of mineral loss below the surface. Ah, that enamel question brings me to my, my final question. Why can't our teeth heal like our skin and like bones? Oh, yeah. Um, well, essentially, it's because there's no mechanism to get resources and healing cells up to the crown of your teeth. If you ever take a look at uh, the whole tooth, the roots are surrounded by blood vessels that can deliver healing resources, but there's essentially no blood going to the top of your teeth. Teeth itself is composed of you know calcium and phosphorus and a lot of other minerals. Um, while bones also contain calcium, phosphorus, and other minerals, uh, mostly consist of actually a protein collagen. And collagen is a living, growing tissue that gives bones actually their flexible framework that allows them to withstand so much pressure. Calcium also fills in the space around that framework and makes the bone strong enough to support the body's weight. Um, but actually, you know, bones are still not as strong as teeth. The hardest part of the human body, teeth, mostly consists of a calcified tissue called dentine, and the tooth's dentine tissue is covered in enamel, that basically that hard, shiny layer that is what you brush. I see. So the enamel is the outer layer, and the dentine is just beneath that. Correct, correct. There's actually three layers to the crown of a tooth. Uh, enamel on the outside, dentine underneath that, and then the dental pulp at the core. And the dental pulp constantly produces dentine throughout life albeit very slowly, and sometimes produces dentine in response to, you know, a bacterial assault on the tooth, like cavities. If the pulp manages to lay down enough new dentine from the inside, it can prevent the pulp from being exposed, which is basically the type of thing that makes a root canal or extraction necessary. But back to, you know, what we we're talking about, uh, regrowing, that outer layer, the enamel, it cannot regenerate. Enamel is one of the hardest, if not the hardest substance in the human body um, to create, you know, the cells that produce enamel uh, called amyloblasts actually all die before the tooth erupts. So weak spots in the enamel can remineralize via maybe fluoride toothpaste, but new enamel can never really be quite produced. So once bacteria and acid have eaten their way past the enamel, the tooth must be cavity prepped and filled before the infection reaches the pulp, as dentine is much softer and more permeable than enamel. So finally, on the topic of toothpaste, there's this word uh, that we need to explain. What is a nurdle? Oh yes, the nurdle. Um, basically, that's the name of that little wavy blob that comes out when you squeeze your toothpaste tube onto your toothbrush, the little you know dot of uh, of toothpaste. Now, now you know it actually has a name. It's called a nurdle, and funny enough, Colgate and Glaxo actually had a big fight over it. 
they had a lawsuit lawsuit over who would be allowed to show it in their advertising. That's funny. Did you learn something new? If you did, send us an email. We are at eli5thepodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you, especially when you have comments and suggestions for us. If you are a regular listener of this podcast, please do take the time to go leave us a review or a rating on Apple iTunes because it helps other listeners to find this podcast. As always, thank you to the community at r slash explain like I'm five, and we will see you all next week.